If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Great to be with you. As you can see, if you're watching on War Chant TV, this is not the usual arrangement. I'm at my house. Tom, you will see, pop up on the screen any moment. He, too, is at his humble abode. We are pre-recording today's show. We are out of town at the time that you watch this on a corporate outing. I know that sounds smug to say, but it's the truth. We, we had an opportunity to be with people that are really nice and invited us to play some golf and have a speaking engagement. And that's a fun speaking engagement when you get to play nice courses. So we're doing that today. Uh, and, and, and no show on Thursday. We are back with you on Friday. But we didn't want to leave you without content today. So there was plenty to talk about. And Tom and I, yesterday, as soon as headlines finished, said, hey, why don't we do a show? Why don't we do a show, do the right thing? We don't deserve brownie points for that. It's just we want to note that that's how this thing played out. That's what happened, and we're happy to do it. All right, so I'm Jeff. That's Tom. Director Matthew here, as always. I point all this out, A, because the FCC likes us too, and B, because if you're on uh, the, the watch here, if you're on the chat, we really can't, we can't see your questions. We, I'll come back. I'll look at them. I'll see what you guys were talking about. Sometimes I, like, I rather like the dialogue. I rather enjoy the, the give and the take. Other times I don't at all. You He's know, not you, look at your questions. Come on now. There's. No I may way. go back and look at some. Not. Oh, I'm not going to go back and look at questions. I may go back and look at the conversation. 
So is the chat conversation review going to be uh, maybe responded to on Arbor Day? Is that is we're going to give Arbor Day for that particular one? Yeah, Flag Day is for all of the emails I didn't yeah. get to during the course of a year. And and you are exactly right. Old chats will be paid attention to on Arbor Day. That's a great day. Or President's Day. Maybe I'll do it then. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a more irrelevant. Arbor Day was pretty good, man. That was That's well done on your part. Yeah, um, you know why I said Arbor Day? No. Because this year was on a- April 29th. It was last week. So you've got a full year before you have to come due on that. <laughs> I like I like that. I, so I'll, I'll check your chat in about a year uh, from, from when we missed today. Uh, I'll be back there. Maybe Tom will check it beforehand and say, hey, I checked it. There's some worthy uh, conversation pieces on there, Jeff. You should go back and see how – well, I like to see how people treat each other. Do you? Are you sure? Oh, I marvel. Okay, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I marvel. Marvel hey, you know, at it is different than like you know, curiously looking to see because I've got an answer for you. If it's the internet and there's a keyboard as a means of communication, it is not going to go well. So we wanted to talk about something. I'm going to lead with it today because at this time we can't lead with the result from last night's baseball game. I don't even know if we would lead with that, but we'd certainly note it. And I don't know how much I'm going to talk about. I already mentioned the, the hire for FSU soccer, but the introductory press conference and Q and a happened yesterday. Uh, but we we've spent a lot of time on the transformation of college football. You sent an interesting article and we kind of discussed it off the air a couple of different times. I wonder how many people out there, I, I know that Ross Dellinger does good work and a lot of people uh, read his work. I wonder how many people read uh, last week uh, in the wake of uh, Mark Emmert's uh, exit or announced exit uh, a year from now uh, or thereabouts about something known as the transformation committee. Uh, they don't get points for originality. The transformation committee is uh, considering wholesale changes to college football. Imagine that, but there's actually a thing called the transformation committee. First of all, can we just note that? Did you know that before you read that article, the transformation committee is a thing. Uh, not before I read the committee. I just, we need to come up with a sounder. It's not for video. It doesn't work as well as the radio studio. It was like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. you know, it's like different than, and then poof, you know, there it is. There, there's the transformation. It's like, wah. look at me. I'm a completely different guy, except it's not going to work either. So, All right. So the you can do the wow here because the transfer portal. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, so the, the transfer portal is discussed in this. Uh, and the idea that it might be open for only three months out of the year. The recruiting calendar will feature no evaluation or quiet periods whatsoever, potentially, according to the Transformation Committee. Um, The Transformation Committee, for those that don't know, is a group of high-ranking college leaders, whatever that is, charged with overhauling and modernizing NCAA governance, considering revolutionary changes is what they're doing. Some administrators describe this as radical. So, There was a briefing, and in that briefing, athletic administrators this week in Dallas, committee leaders this past week, I should say, uh, revealed ideas to deregulate longtime NCAA bylaws and decentralize such decisions to the conferences. And according to one athletic director, that's going to make heads explode. That committee shared concepts about what they could do, and they may announce these things Um, in the not-too-distant future, basically. They want to potentially eliminate scholarship caps on sports that offer only partial scholarships. So you could have 
uh, a ton of scholarships for baseball, abolishing the limitation on the number of coaches per team. That's not something we thought was a good idea in the recent past. We'll see. Expanding direct payments from schools to athletes, reconfiguring the recruiting calendar, implementing closed periods in the NCAA transfer portal. I think that's a good idea. Um, so these would be made, by the way, by the conferences, Tom. Anything else that uh, raised your antenna to think, oh, well, that will work, or I don't like any of these ideas. I largely read the piece and went, I'm not sure I like many of these ideas at all. No, uh, most of them suck. Um, I, I think this is that. We, we did not talk about this beforehand in regards to your opinion on it, so I'm glad we're on the same page. No, most of these are terrible. Um, you know the guy who's like trying to get fired at the office, at least yeah. from a sitcom or something like that? I feel like that's what the NCAA Transformation Committee is trying to do here for the NCAA as it relates to college football. They are trying to get fired because a lot of these ideas led by turning it over to the conferences to police themselves or set their own standards? No way, because the SEC is going to be like, sure, hire as many coaches as you want. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Unlimited scholarships for every sport. Let's make sure that, I, I don't care, not just the partial ones, let's do it for every single sport so we can hoard all of the talent. We have the resources to hoard all of the talent. There's no way this works. I think what this is is a further backing out now that Emmert is gone and he's been a plague for the sports industry, the, the college sports industry. This is them saying, we're out, guys. You go form your new league. You do whatever you need to do. Decentralize is right until you centralize again under a new umbrella, certainly not our umbrella at the NCAA. So where I think this is going, as you see, my man has left the camera and he's left the proverbial studio is the NCAA is kicking the can down the road and saying, somebody else, you pick it up because this mess is way too big and we don't want to hire the amount of manpower and woman power that would be necessary to legislate all the, all the changes that need to come in the college game. I left you in the lurch, but you handled it gracefully as my dogs were barking and the door was being uh, opened and closed. And, and that's largely my fault there. But these are the hazards from recording at home uh, in lieu of being there in studio. And I agreed and heard everything you had to say. I think it is also their way of saying, uh, as is quoted here, according to one athletic director, some sort of change is coming. There are people talking about it. And these are topics that will be introduced next month or later this month, I should say, um, when coaches, athletic administrators, and university pre presidents are going to gather to discuss national, national and conference legislation. So, okay, good. Um, I, I love the idea. I mean, there's, there's several silly comments here where it's sort of like uh, the athletic directors quoted on condition of anonymity uh, are saying to Ross Dellinger and other reporters, boy, if we get half of what's being proposed here, just be ready, everybody. Massive changes are coming. Oh, well, yeah, man, this article is already dated. I mean, I'm bringing it up because I think it's viable to know that people, administrators, people higher ups at universities are meeting to discuss about what to do. The NCAA remains powerless to do much, but I do think university presidents and university athletic directors and coaches alike are extremely concerned, rightfully so, and do want to try to do something, hopefully sooner rather than later. That's all this is, is an indicator to me that they're willing to already begin to meet and say, we, we, we got to do something. I don't know whose recommendations we're going to choose, but we, we can't sit idly by and watch this. Right. It's just a matter of, you know, following the money. I, I often talk about how the network executives, the TV execs, who are seeing the ratings go down because the sport is less interesting or, or whatever it is, 
they will be motivated to make these changes and they will be motivated to start the conversation, which is the most important question. Who's going to start the conversation? Oh, these dudes, if you're affecting their bottom line and they can't buy a second yacht. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to start those conversations. But my other question about following the money is, okay, title nine is a problem. And I don't mean that in terms of as legislation and, and what it attempts to do and what it sets out to do to advance the cause of folks who aren't treated equally when it comes to educational opportunities and otherwise. But Title IX is a problem as how do you share the money and how do you make it equitable when football is the whole pie and then all other sports is just this little sliver that's left? How do you make that work? Do you reclassify and then Title IX no longer applies? Uh, do you funnel all of that money to NIL organizations once, you know, perhaps there's federal legislation that allows universities and these organizations to work together across the country? And that's how you meet out the dollars. And you say, well, listen, we're providing equal scholarships to both male and female players or uh, revenue sports and non-revenue sports. Like my whole thing is these changes are going to be dictated not by professors and university presidents in the NCAA. These changes are going to be dictated by the people who control the money. The TV network executives, and I don't know what um, groups of people are going to be able, lawyers are certainly going to be involved, that can iron out the issues of how do we make sure this jives with federal law like Title IX while also reclassifying and making it work for the players and getting them paid. That's yeah. the best. Nobody wants to deal with that, but it's the people who will have the power to deal with the money that are going to solve this problem, not, yeah. you know. Present. And this and this can get bogged down because that is a, a, a very important conversation. I think if you just take it to the fans, though, they don't really care how it happens. They just care that, look, we've got to have maybe different rules pertaining to scholarships. Maybe we make changes that we're talking about on a daily basis on this show and others around the country that care about college athletics. But as we move closer and closer to players being employees and we talk about uni unionizing thousands of players, fans hear of players, their players being poached from their team. The second that somebody else comes along, it leaves most of those people feeling empty. And the reason they feel kind of empty is the connections to the players that went to their school that made them feel like it was similar to their experience are being lost more every day. And there's nobody to set a, a set of parameters to guide how we navigate all of this. And so there's a helplessness. There's just sort of a, I don't know what I'm watching. I don't know what the answers are. And it doesn't sound like anybody's coming to save us. I kind of brought this up because it does sound like at least the chatter has begun. At least people are saying, hey, no matter how radical the idea is, throw it out there, guys. Let everybody know we're talking. And, yes, I hope the next thing we hear about conversations regarding college football is that it's from TV executives and others who have the power to maybe implement said changes. It's Jeff Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio War Chant TV. Continuing in a moment. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Cameron Show, Balls McWednesday edition. And as we told you at the top, today's show is recorded. Tom and I have the good fortune of uh, playing uh, a lot of golf and going to a corporate outing and a speaking engagement, and I'm excited about it. And uh, we didn't want to leave you without content. So just a reminder, today's show 
is recorded and we're kind of hopping all over the place here today. But, uh, Hey man, somebody asked you to go play golf at the, uh, the Robert Trent Jones courses, if you will, then what, what are you supposed to say no to that? What do you, we had to say, yes, you would have done the same thing. Hey, I, this is a subject that I would have brought up either way, no matter when we did it, because I'm always amazed by this. I frequently, it's a theme on the show. It's a theme in life. It's a theme in general. I think, especially in the modern era, with uh, social media and the 24-hour news cycle. If you feel a certain way about one thing, just wait a day, it'll change. Or if you are certain of something, keep it to yourself because there's a good chance that that's not correct, whatever it is. Now, I'm not talking about having disposable morals or ethics, but I am talking about what is acceptable in society, what is accepted, in this case, in the sports realm, right? So we're talking about what you can and can't do as a coach, what you can and can't do as a league, what you can and can't do, for example, in college football, which is a conversation that we're having on the daily and how that's going to look. And we're also certain right now that the NIL and transfer portal and the professionalization of collegiate athletics is going to be the ruination of the sport. And to some degree, it certainly will be different. And some of those differences will not be good. There will be things we just don't like about it. But there will be others that a few years removed and refined, perhaps, that we will say, yeah, that's good. I'm glad they did that. That ended up being more equitable for all involved, or it's a better deal for the fan, or it's a better deal for the player or the university, whatever it might be, in due time. And I'm reminded of that every time I read a story about uh, performance-enhancing drugs and the way we viewed them, certainly for baseball many moons ago, and the way we thought about how it was that baseball needed to handle uh, the numbers of the game. And, and that's the sport that is hyper-focused on numbers more than others. But I lamented all those years ago, Tom, that baseball was the only sport, it seemed professionally to me, that actually felt the wrath of the average sports fan and certainly the working media every time a big-name player got in trouble for using steroids. If it was a pitcher or a hitter, it didn't matter. We quickly cast aside uh, this as a baseball problem. We said that this league has uh, no, no rules with teeth. They better get a hold of it. The sport is being ruined. Some of that I agree with. Some of those records from that era, I still think, are poppycock, nonsense. It's, it's not as impressive as what, say, if you want to, Rod Carew did in his career or whatever player you want to name. Um, but I always thought, man, it's weird to me. People get angry about baseball players using steroids, like personally angry. And we largely ignore that certainly almost three quarters of NFL football players are using steroids, right? And occasionally one of them would be cited. Um, you'd catch somebody, Sean Merriman. Remember when that happened and he was having the tear of a career that he was having where he looked like he was on the path to the Hall of Fame. We're like, well, he plays a little crazy and out of control. Maybe that's because he's hopped up on goofballs, and it turned out he was hopped up on goofballs. But these days, NFL players get popped for performance-enhancing drugs all the time. And I mean star players all over the place. And we've had another instance of that, and that is DeAndre Hopkins, who you would argue is certainly and has been anyhow in recent years, the best player or the best player at his position, anyhow, in the NFL. He's now been suspended six games for violating the NFL's policy on performance-enhancing drugs. And all of the 
conversation surrounding that was not about DeAndre Hopkins' decision um, to use performance-enhancing drugs, of which he said, I was confused and I was shocked. I'm mindful of what I put in my body, and I've always taken a holistic approach. I'm working with my team to investigate how in the world this could have happened. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar for what a lot of people say about that. I don't think people accidentally take performance-enhancing drugs. I don't think it happens. I think that if, especially if you're mindful of what you're putting in your body, you don't accidentally take performance-enhancing drugs. So I'm going to summarily dismiss his claims that it was an accident. I could be wrong. But nobody yesterday in talking about this said, well, does the league have does the league does does the team have recourse? Could they recoup some of the money? What should you do? This is going to cost them dearly. Likely, the six games he misses will lead to them perhaps missing the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody said that. They said, "What should Arizona do in terms of getting by those six games until they get him back? Because clearly, he is the offense, and they better find a way to survive in his absence." There was no shaming is my point. Nobody cares anymore that professional athletes use performance enhancing drugs. And I think guys like this and others, every time they test positive and we see a headline now, we've gone from, oh, it's a dark day. What a terrible moment for him. This will cast a shadow on his career to, well, what's the team going to do to survive until that guy gets back? Because man, he's the best. Yeah, I think part of it is um, my generation is starting to rise in, in the media ranks, and we're very jaded as a people, like you know, as sports <laughs> fans, because we grew up in the era of collective bargaining issues. When I was nine, baseball had a strike, and my dad was off baseball for an extended period of time at that point. Free agency is something that happened before you know we were in middle school. Um, and now, obviously, you know, where college football is going as well, it's like the final thing to fall, even though that was a farce the whole time that the players weren't paid. I don't know. I, I just think in, in yesteryear and in, in generations gone by, football players were considered warriors and baseball players gentlemen. And that's stupid. Like that's that's to assume that a football player is no more or less culture than a baseball player is just kind of dumb on its face. But because of the nature of the sport, I think that people made those assumptions. I think now, you know, again, for those people that are rising up in the media ranks as people in analytics or whatever, it's all about how many wins can you get? You're, you're, you're used to mercenaryism as a sports fan. And when a player is caught and popped for PEDs, you joked about this for years on the show. It's like, good. I want them to be trying to, to get an edge and, and get around the corner before somebody else can. That means they're trying. That means they care. It was tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of true. It's kind of true as well, especially in the NFL where everything is so temporary for your career. I just think that perhaps my generation, which is now starting to get old, <laughs> is is more apt to allow for that discussion and, and talk about things like wins and losses rather than the morality of anything that's happened. Also, I think, and I'm not advocating for anybody out there playing high school football or whatever it might be, whatever the sport, to, to use illegal drugs to get stronger and, and faster. I'm not saying that, but I think surrounding the discussion of steroids after the steroid era in baseball, and then later on learning of the cautionary tales of NFL players back in the seventies and early eighties that were using large amounts of say Diana ball or Deca or whatever it was at that time. Those are the steroids. I remember. Um, you know, I remember those being 
in conversation and circulation, uh, period. I remember seeing those at the local gym that I worked out at when I was in high school. I knew people who were on those drugs. Years later, you learned that an excess use of those drugs could enlarge your heart, could lead to a premature death and other health issues, obviously. But as advancements in medical science occurred, we now downright see aging clinics that use uh, the very things that are banned in by these professional leagues. Because under the guidance of a doctor who monitors blood pressure, heart rate, all that other stuff, we're told they can be used functionally without long-term, serious long-term effects if, again, prescribed by a doctor. And I think those clinics and the rise of those clinics and really the perfection of, of how to use those and how to cycle those led people to think, you know, I'm sure it's not a great thing, but it's probably not nearly as disastrous as we once thought it to be when they were getting those illegally off the street and not being monitored by doctors. Yeah, um, I, I say this with a little bit of pause, given, um, you know, maybe some people listening <laughs> might, might bristle, but it also has to do with the Russians. It also has to do with the Russians. And here's what I mean. The Soviet Union and doping was a huge deal. Still is. In the 80s. Uh, yeah, but I mean. Of course it is that they're the ROC and not and not the Russian you know nation. They can't compete in the Olympics as such. But it was such a big deal and it was painted. I mean, look at Rocky Four. You've got like evil bleach blonde haired roid using oaf over here, even though that dude actually has a PhD in chemistry. And then you've got little old Rocky here. Like we fancied ourselves as the clean, and yet Sly Stallone is on every drug known to man between Rocky Two and Rocky Three. Look at the transformation in his body between those two movies. Sure. And yet we fancied ourselves doing things the right way as a culture. And I think, honestly, I know this is a big picture, but the evil people, the other, the enemies, the Soviets, were the dopers on the, on the east, eastern side of the wall all the way through to Moscow. That's what they were. And Americans did things the right way. They, they ate their vegetables. They, you know, cracked some eggs, put them in a glass, and, and chugged them down. And <laughs> that's what they did. They lifted weights. Well, I think that bled over into the 90s steroid discussion as well because there's there's two things going on. There's disingenuousness of the players, which nobody likes. Nobody likes a liar, especially when they're treating you like you're stupid. But then there's a hangover, too, of what did PEDs actually mean in the sporting conversation, like in mainstream sports. It was the bad guys use them, the good guys don't. I'm not trying to say that good guys use steroids now. All I'm saying is I think that – that influenced how the discussion went and the vitriol that was felt specifically for baseball players, because even in the late 90s, they were the most famous among us, especially after the home run chase of 1998. Yeah, the lines got blurred. More and more good guys, quote unquote, good guys began getting popped. And right. that led people to say, well, wait a minute. My presumption is that Jose Canseco, of course, is a steroid user. Look at him. He's a scumbag. You know, because this guy had, had all kinds of transgressions off the field. So you could you could easily say it's applicable to a guy like that who gets in trouble in his private life and gets in trouble in his in his romantic life. He gets in trouble at the bar. He gets, you know, all these. You'd be like, well, he's a troublemaker. Of course, he's using. I mean, look at him. But then more and more guys, you know, guys that you thought, oh, no, not him. He seems like such a good guy. I've never heard a peep or a bad word about that guy. And so all of a sudden, people began to go, oh, well, maybe. And then, of course, there is the case of Lance Armstrong, 
who uh, an entire nation or world got behind to celebrate all that he was doing, only to find out that while those things were still a great thing to do, meaning save millions of people's lives through research and funding of cancer, uh, yeah, he lied about all of why he was doing that and how he was doing that and how he was achieving the success that he was achieving repeatedly, not only to government agencies, to law enforcement, to the league in which he raced under and the banner in which he won, raced under, of course, the nation that he raced under and all those who paid him handsomely to do so. And we went, well, well now what do we do? This is a guy who nearly died and I love him and he's winning. Yeah, so all of that happened. Uh, finally, to put a ribbon on this, I would say that the worst thing that came out of the Rockies was that I did the very thing you just described. I took two eggs, cracked them into a glass, and drank them before a morning jog because I thought I'd be cool and train like Rocky. And it was the most disgusting thing I've ever done, and I've never done it again. And people still do it, I hear, but damn it, man, I should have never done that. It makes me want to projectile vomit talking about it. Let's get 1,000 likes underneath this video, and Jeff will chug for the first time since he was in high no. school a glass with a couple no. of eggs. 1,000 no. likes. Come on. You can do it. <laughs> it's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, and War Chant TV continues in a moment. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. So at the time that we're talking about this, a rather uh, sizable game, Tommy, looms large for our beloved Tampa Bay Lightning. And this is not a segment about the Tampa Bay Lightning, but rather the psyche of fans, the psyche of players, and the amazing ability to either compartmentalize and or recognize as fans like we do with all sports when the moment is at hand. And what I mean by that is, so when you and I, we're Bucks fans, um, we're watching uh, the Bucks go on their Super Bowl run with Tom Brady. There was uh, the matter of having to bounce back from a humiliating loss in the regular season, right? And the timing of them trying to figure out their offense. And we would constantly talk, you and I would, about like, are they going to get this figured out? Because it's pretty clear that they're experimenting. It's pretty clear they're figuring out what elements of what he wants to do and what elements of uh, what uh, B.A. wants to do and what elements of you know, this offense works with this mind and all of that. Are they going to get this worked out in time? And it turned out, of course, they made some fundamental changes that had to do with throwing on first down more frequently, first of all, and down the field. The next thing you know, it opened everything up and the Bucks went crazy and went on the run and they won the Super Bowl. But we knew it was culminating in that moment. And that turned out to be a good moment because you recognize the signs we both did and went, oh, 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 this, this could be it. This could be it. They may be primed. I also do the same with all of my teams when the time is nigh, when it's at hand to go the wrong way. And I thought of you last night when I texted you, and I only texted the one, only texted the one. When, when, when the blowout was afoot uh, and you get five minutes into a game and you've got a five-minute major and a game misconduct going against Toronto and a power play that has been red hot at the end of the regular season – only to watch a power play that was as poorly put together as maybe I've ever seen. Maybe. Yep. Uh, I mean, that was five minutes of embarrassment. 
uh, slow, lethargic, odd man rushes, scoring opportunities galore for the team, not on the power play, you know, all of that. And I'm sitting there thinking, huh, they just weren't ready to play. That's a desperate Toronto team. They're at home. This is the one Toronto has to get. They have a lot of festering doubt because they haven't done a damn thing since 2004, and everybody's called them chokers and all that stuff. So they're coming out hot. We're not meeting the intensity. But somewhere along the way, tell me it didn't creep into the back of your mind that maybe time is up. Yeah, I mean, so there's nothing we could have done, the Lightning, that is, on Monday night that would have um, – fundamentally changed you know my belief in, in them being able to win the series this is as close as they could have come though i didn't realize they could come this close so, they didn't have anything for toronto period what's funny is and this is a deep cut lightning joke but sheldon keith was drafted by the lightning in the late 90s he played on like a 19 win lightning team in an 82 game season they won 19 games that's what i grew up watching that's why i had playoff teams when i was a kid because lightning were just never going to go the the power play that last night out, until like the fifth one of the game looked just like the power plays that Sheldon Keefe was on in like 1999. It, it was yeah. just terrible. But the thing is, it's such a house money feeling that like I was pissed last night, but I also read the room. Like it, at maybe at 19 years old or 21 years old for me, I wouldn't have reacted as, as calmly, but I'm like, you know, if they take it, so be it. We played a lot of freaking hockey. These guys are beat up. But if they can gut it out, that'd be even funnier because the way this game one sets the stage, the expectations for Toronto, you know, they've been fooled again if Tampa comes back and, and wins the series. So that's kind of funny, too. I'm not trying to be a defeatist. I'm not trying to be a loser. I want to win three in a row. It hasn't been done since the Islanders did it in the 80s. And it's, like, never, it's, been done in the sal- and it's never been done in the salary cap era. No, never been sniffed. And if you could, if you combine the 62 wins Tampa Bay Lightning from three seasons ago to now, this is the best three-year run, even before you get to this recent season, this current season that any team has ever been on in the salary cap era. It just is, point of fact. So, you know, if it ends here, it ends here. But I'm not trying to be a defeatist. I also want to win the whole damn thing. It's just when you've won two in a row, you have a little bit more perspective. You you are afforded the luxury of perspective when things go wrong. Yeah, but I and, – and back to my original point with this, and, yeah, I mean, we're both Lightning fans and we want to win. It would be great. It would be something historical, and we would – we're already going to remember the run that they've been on forevermore, but – and appreciate it because as you get older, you do tend to appreciate these things. You realize how fleeting they can be and how they may never come back around in your lifetime. You'll never you – know, you don't know. I get all that, but it, it's about fandom. It's about that maturity to, of which you speak and also the recognition – uh, there are moments when you recognize that something the gig is up, and and I've had the good fortune and the sad to watch when it's on the rise for the Seminole football program, and when it's about to be uh, a precipitous drop. And I don't know what this is for the Lightning. It, it stands to reason that they're tired and older, and there are hungrier teams that have been bounced in the first round that are tired of it. Uh, in fact, we'd be facing back-to-back teams that are tired of it uh, if we win, because Toronto is damn tired of hearing about it, and they are the propensity to choke in Toronto is legendary at this point. And then, of course, if you go on to face the Panthers, who are younger, faster, and hungrier than you, uh, they're tired of hearing about it. And so they very well be the team to knock you out. It could be. We don't know. But what I do know is that whenever it is, it's funny, as you get older and wiser and you view sports through that lens of perspective that is only gained through the years of seeing the successes and failures as time goes by, you're better able to say, oh, I see a sign. Okay. Uh, you can have one of these, but if uh, if in game two we see something similar, I think we know we can probably call it a day. Begin to slowly golf clap for what was and prepare ourselves for some changes. That's that's probably where we'll, where you know where we'll be. 
Yeah, I think so. In the Lightning specific case, I'll get to a Florida State example in a moment, but in the Lightning specific case, even if they got bounced in, say, five games this series, let's just say it was like that. I'm rooting for the long break. Good. Heal your bodies. I mean, there is no hyperbaric chamber in the world that can fix the problems that they must have with the wear and tear of playing, you know, 200-odd NHL games and, you know, uh, 25, 30 of which are at the playoff level. I mean, or more than that, actually. It's probably like 50. So, you know, if that happens, I wouldn't write them off just yet, but I could see it going either way. They could also win, you know, game two, like three to two, and then it's like, haha, they split the series in Toronto. Now you're screwed. And then we flip the feeling completely. But I go back to a Florida State example, which was something that you saw before anybody else. It was the first half, maybe the first quarter of the Louisville game in 2016 when you realized that this is never going to be the same again under Jimbo. And and I say that it was in 2016 because we all made the mistake. I, I, well, I'll speak for me only. I made the mistake in 2015 of when the college football playoff was going. I said, you know what? That's okay. We'll go get them next year. I, I, I kind of wish we were in it, but it's no big deal. We've been in the college football playoff for the national championship game the last two years. Regroup, go get them in 2016. Then when 2016 came, I realized, oh, no, never wish for that. Don't ever wish for that again because this thing is going down, and it hasn't stopped going down, we think, until recently. Maybe it's bottomed out. But um, that was an example where I knew it was fundamentally different than it was before on the road at Louisville, noon kickoff, the Muhammad Ali Memorial game, and Lamar Jackson going crazy over us. We couldn't get through halfway through the second quarter before that game was completely over, and whatever Jimbo had built had officially crumbled. But that was the moment. I would argue, and I maintain this point, that was the only time I saw a team or a collection of players to that level. I mean, it wasn't like that team was devoid of talent. It was the only time I can remember watching with the, the level of helplessness, understanding that if they decide to, Louisville can score 100 points in this game. And I began to think about history. I began to think about Cumberland getting beat 222 to nothing. I began to think about teams that have been on the wrong end of historic ass beatings and how frequently those are brought up forevermore, especially if they're to a team that you have to play annually. And I was watching that going, man, you better do something. You better do something to speed this clock up. You better run the ball into the middle of the line here and find a way to get that clock moving, Jimbo, because winning is out the door. But losing in a manner that will never be lived down is still on the table. Yeah. Uh, and, yes, the reverberations, and I had predicted that going into the game. I will pat myself on the back there. I know you alluded to it. I just had a bad feeling. The vibe around that team and the program was going south in a hurry. And we realized on that day that he had lost the team forevermore. But what's crazy is, you know, we, we had the hype for the next year for the Alabama game. And actually, before Francois got hurt, played Alabama as tough as could be expected. Yeah, they got screwed in the first half on a non on the call. And yeah, the inter yeah. Yeah, the pass interference. That was ridiculous. But I mean, that team had really good players. Dalvin Cook, for example, was on that team. Derwin James was on that football team. And yet they were that helpless. That's the crazy part looking back at that. Like if that happened to us now, it, it has. Willie's first year against Clemson in Tallahassee. I think it was no score after one quarter. It might have been three nothing, something like that. After that, it could have been 85 to nothing if they willed it to be that way. That's not a surprise given that the roster was just completely devoid of anything, anything at all. You see that now, the reverberations of that with the draft. That's a discussion we've had. Only one dude, and he was a transfer, got picked this year in the NFL draft. 
But that group in 2016 wasn't like this. We would take that roster if you're just talking a blind test of talent. And oh, he said, sure. if you have this much talent, you'd say, sign me up. Where do I sign? And yet, that group was the one that could have had 100 scored on them. You talk about dysfunction. That's not about athleticism at all. That was about everything else. Yeah, and, and, and thus it was written, right? You knew in that moment it's over, and I was going on the air at that time saying, well, the sooner we get to the getting here, I mean, this is this. I, I don't think you can recover from this. I don't know how you do it. I mean, you had, you had to play the game. You had to have daily conversations, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I don't think he can get this back. The genie's out of the bottle. I, I don't know that you can get this done. Um, and yet here we sit now rather hopeful, recognizing that it's arduous and that maybe we're on the precipice of something good. Maybe um, that is the eternal hope, right? That's what everybody thinks they're watching, that there are incre incremental gains and improvements in recruiting and a passionate staff that works very hard. They have a lot going against them, but there is still a little bit of time to show that big step forward. I have yet to recognize the, the, the proverbial sign of which I speak, that we may be watching tonight when the Lightning play Toronto and that we certainly were watching in 2016 against Louisville. I don't know that I've seen the thing that one way or the other tells me he's done, this isn't going to work, or there it is, we're going to be okay. It's a weird place to be as a fan who pays close attention and does have the, the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of experience and the benefit of the years of watching passionately my favorite teams play. Yeah, it's just about, it's kind of like the conversation we had yesterday on headlines, which was, you know, talking about how many players, it was a good question, how many players in this offense will be draftable? You know, like, oh my God, you couldn't get to four? Like, it's hard to get to four. Did we get That's to three? We might have. I think if we included Duffy as a potential draftable quarterback <laughs> in three, four years' time. Um, but it, it's... That's where you are, and, and to me, if you put it in those terms, just talking about the talent level on offense, that takes me back probably to like 2008 or 2009 Florida State levels. Like Actually, probably not even 09. That, that offense went up and down the field. They just couldn't get a stop that year. Right. So it's probably 2007 or 2008 Florida State offense when you're talking about talent top to bottom. But the feather that the coaching staff has in their cap that gives me a little bit more hope is they're finding ways to get into the upper 20s and lower 30s without talent. So it's just amazing that you're able to do that. And Jordan, don't get me wrong, he's very talented at what he does. It's a very specific thing, but they find ways to make it work. They get the most out of this thing. They they draw blood from a stone. I believe you said that in the fall quite a few times. It's just a question of can you do it enough to get real dudes in here that will allow you to have the moment that you're speaking of where you say, okay. Okay, they've got two dudes at receiver. They've got two dudes on the offensive line. They've got three guys in the offensive backfield playing running back in different situations. And they've got a quarterback who's not that bad either. And guess what? They've got at least one tight end. Like, even still, in the grand scheme of comparing that kind of Florida State offensive roster to Alabama's, you're still at a huge disadvantage. But you're light years ahead of where you are right now. There is a, there is a big middle ground to get to before you take that huge step forward. Talk about humbling, and we've already been humbled every which way to Sunday, and I'm tired of being humbled. I'm ready to be uh, over-the-top uh, braggadocious at some point. But uh, in the interim, when you watch Georgia have 15 players get drafted, a modern record, uh, you say, okay, if the goal is to compete for a national title, we are a million miles away from doing something like that, and evidence of that is right there. Because that's what you would need to compete. Something akin to that with that team. Hell, mighty Alabama, 
filled with NFL players basically couldn't compete with that when Georgia righted the ship after the SEC championship game and went, okay, not again. Here's how this is going to go. Um, you know, you, you, it was one of the only times in the last 10 years that I've watched a college football game and thought definitively, now we, that Clemson team, the elite Clemson team that beat Alabama, it was pretty close, but that was the only time that I looked out on the field and thought, Oh, Georgia's better. They're better. They're bigger. They're faster. They're stronger. They're better. This isn't a fluke. They're better. Yeah, and that's the trailing effect. I recall when they had gotten fields. I mean, this is, I guess, five recruiting classes ago, four recruiting classes ago. My brother-in-law is a diehard Georgia fan. He was in Indianapolis for that game. He, like many others, I think, were weeping for joy when it was over. That They finally you know, reached yeah. the top of the mountain after 40 years. I said, get used to winning because those recruiting classes they stacked up years ago were of the caliber that you could beat Alabama and be better than Alabama. You just needed to stop second-guessing yourself, maybe find the right quarterback, and not get unlucky that Tua comes off the bench in a few national championships to go and just lights up the whole room. Because if not for that, they would have arrived a little bit earlier to the conversation. But that's the deal. You know, Kirby Smart was being second-guessed, and there were uh, graphics being put up likening him to Mark Richt, and a lot of the numbers were very, very similar through 40 games, through 50 games. Right, right. You know, all that kind of stuff. But it's a lead effect of four and five years of program building. We haven't reached one of those years in Tallahassee. Now, the transfer portal can close the gap a little bit quicker in the way it's operating right now. But, I mean, to get to that place, I'm not trying to tell you it's guaranteed at least another four or five years because maybe uh, conference realignment happens and we have more money in the coffers here. But we haven't had that first season yet that Kirby had. Maybe eight wins or nine wins puts us in a place where we can start to have that conversation. Well, and a real good example to put a ribbon on this of programs that have it the way that Georgia has it in its precious few. It's Alabama, it's Georgia. I don't know if anybody else does right now. Maybe Ohio State, because I think Ohio State will vie for the national championship this year. I think they, if you look at some of the odds, and I've been doing that this week for College Sportsbook, you can get Ohio State at plus 500 if you like them to win the national championship. A few weeks back, you could get them at plus 800. And I think it's a viable gig because they they changed out their defensive coordinator, which was important. Um, and they brought Jim Knowles in from, from Oklahoma State, and that's a good hire. Uh, because their problem last year is they were ninth in the conference on defense defense in the conference that's that's not who ohio state is and you can bet ryan day's angry and so you you'll see this will be a fun little thing exercise for all of us but i want to go back to something michigan won the big 10 last year finally right they finally did if you look at that michigan team and you go through what they've lost both their offensive and defense coordinator but go back to the fact that they lose eight starters on defense they lost ajobu they lost aiden hutchinson josh uh ross uh brad hawkins daxton hill vincent gray two defensive tackles you know guess what they're gonna suck they're not gonna be any good they don't have the sustained recruiting success that you're referencing that georgia has or alabama has to endure the kind of losses that they suffered through this past year they will take a huge step back they're gonna go eight and four they're gonna maybe maybe nine and three if the ball bounces their way but they're not a contender in my mind so you can tell what side of the fence i'm on as far as bets go they're not a contender to to win the big 10 again it takes that much sustained success in recruiting to endure losses to the NFL like the ones they just endured. We think Georgia, with losing 15 guys to the league, probably going to still be pretty damn good this year. That tells you a lot about what you're talking about and how far Florida State has to go. It's not cruel to bring it up. It's just a sober reminder that we're waiting for that, that next step. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV.